Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. I hope you enjoy it. In today's episode, we will be continuing our discussion on the history of astrology by looking at the medieval and renaissance period. As we saw in our previous episode, following the collapse of Rome, the practice of astrology had begun to go into decline in Europe, at least from which it didn't really did recover for quite a while uh, until 1200 AD. One of the primary reasons for this decline was that during the Roman period, the practice of astrology, uh, soothsaying, fortune-telling, had been linked to superstition and magic. So when the Christians uh, became and Christianity became the leading religion, some of these practices began to be seen as the work of the devil and were actively discouraged by Christian monks and priests. One of these Christian priests who was pretty much opposed to it was St. Augustine um, or, or Augustine of Hypo, who lived from 354 to 430. And he was an early Christian theologian and philosopher who was widely considered to be the most prominent Christian thinker after St. Paul, as well as being patron saint of brewers, printers and theologians. One of his key things, his key ideas that he was against um, astrology was because he believed that God shapes human destiny and it should not be the stars and the planets. And he said this in this particular quote, Why in the life of twins, in their actions, the events that befall them, their professions, arts, honours and other things pertain to human life? as well as in their very deaths. Is there often so great a difference that, as far as these things are concerned, many entire strangers are more like them than they are like each other, though separated by birth, by the smallest interval of time, but at conception, generated by the same act in the same moment. So I guess what he's saying is, you know, twins that are born exactly the same time, if... If the stars and planets are the ones that are in control of them, then, um, you know, why why would they not be different? And this kind of is arguing that God is the one who decides fate, not the stars. So whilst a lot of this superstition remained, astrology began to become more popular during the Middle Ages and Renaissance period onwards. Uh, medieval and Renaissance astrologers were philosophers, they were mathematicians, they were magicians, they were astronomers, alchemists. And it was taught in some of the biggest universities in Europe and can be seen in lots and lots of different examples of art, literature and architecture. So, for instance, Shakespeare, Chaucer, etc. Shakespeare um, has lots of different references to the stars and astrology throughout his plays. Um, for example, from Titus Andronicus, uh, Madam, though Venus govern your desires, Saturn is dominator over mine. Also in Hamlet... As stars with trains of fire and dews of blood, disasters in the sun, and the moist star upon whose influence Neptune's empire stands was sick almost to doomsday with eclipse. And even the like precursor of feared events, as harbinger, preceding still the fates and prologue to the omen coming on, have heaven and earth together demonstrated unto our climatures and countrymen. That's from Hamlet. Also, Chaucer was a known astrologer. So, for example, if you read his wife of Bath's tale, we read the following. 
the children of Mercury and Venus are in their lives antagonistic thus. For Mercury loves wisdom and science, and Venus loves but pleasure and expense. Because they different dispositions own, each falls when others in ascendance shone, and God knows Mercury is desolate. In Pisces wherein Venus rules in state, and Venus falls when Mercury is raised. That's a quote from Chaucer. Um, although it's not too clear how this resurgence came about during this period, some people say that it may have been through an English monk called Alcuin, who lived between th- 735 AD, and he was favoured by the great King Charlemagne. Um, Charlemagne's meant to have brought this monk to France, where he asked him to create a medieval school at the Abbey of Saint Martin in Tours. And at this school, Alcuin of York um, wrote lots of texts on arithmetic, geometry, astronomy um, during this period. So really kind of a heyday of this particular study. And he's also meant to have taught Charlemagne himself. It's quite difficult to find out information about Alcuin, but he is meant to have written the following. In the morning, at the height of my powers, I sowed the seed in Britain. Now in the evening, when my blood is growing cold, I am still sowing in France. Hoping both will grow by the grace of God, giving some the honey of the Holy Scriptures, making others drunk on the old wine of ancient learning. Um, And the English poet, uh, wartime poet Sigrid Fasun, wrote a really nice poem about Okun, which I wanted to quote. And it's called Awareness of Alcuin. Alcuin from temporalities at rest sought grace with him given from afar, noting how sunsets worked around to west, watching at spring's approach that beckoning star, and hearing while one thrush sang through the rain, youth his soul in paradise might regain. During this period, there was also a big demand for texts from the East. And during the 10th to the 12th century, scholars would have poured over any information they could get their hands on of texts on astrology, magic, and also Arabic versions of Greek classics um, would be very popular as well. Um, So in 1138, you get the first Latin translation of Tetra Bibulos, which we discussed uh, previously on the Egyptian episode, um, which was one of the primary texts on philosophy and astrology uh, written in the second century by Ptolemy. In addition to Latin texts, there's also various important scholars who drove the study of uh, astrology forward during this period. So you have, for instance, Roger Bacon, 1214 to 1294. He was a really skilled astrologer as well as a mathematician and um he was known by the name of Dr. Mirabilis. Um was a medieval English philosopher, Franciscan friar, and he's really kind of credited with the importance he placed on the study of nature through empirical methods. And he wrote a book called The Opus Magus, which contains lots of different details on mathematics, optics, astronomy and alchemy, including different theories on the positions and size of the celestial bodies. One of the issues Bacon did face, however, um, along with his contemporary Albertus Magnus, 1200 to 1280, 
was the problem of this problem of sort of reconciling the astrological determinism with a Christian doctrine of free will. They they claimed that the stars influenced only the body but not the soul. Uh, and also Bacon is often mentioned as being one of the early advocates of the modern scientific method inspired by the works of Aristotle and Arabic works. And he was one of the first people also to teach Aristotle in Europe. Um, so as you can see, there was obviously this battle going on between, you know, the idea of free will and obviously the effects of the planets and where does that sit in terms of that. Another important figure from this time is St Thomas Aquinas, uh, 1225 to 1274, who acknowledged the power of astrology on human behaviour but was also quite against this idea of determinism, saying that it directly opposed the Christian doctrine of free will. For those of you who don't know, Thomas Aquinas is a Catholic Dominican priest from Italy. He's also a Catholic saint and philosopher and is also known for his work with natural law and had a very kind of optimistic view of human nature. He believed that it's human nature to do good and not evil. And from an astrological point of view, he was also quite closely following um, some of the ideas of Aristotle in following the idea that the celestial rule the the celestial rule the perfect imperfect sublunary body but also kind of trying to reconcile that astrology with christianity by saying that god rules the soul so um the celestial bodies are the cause of all that takes place in the sublunar world so again this idea that the celestial bodies are kind of have more of an impact on other elements of ourselves but the soul is like this sort of spark of light um, in the center that is kind of uncorruptible um, we also have other important figures such as Guido Bernati who lived between 1296 to 1300 Guido was um, Italian mathematician uh, astronomer and also advisor to Frederick II, who was the Holy Roman Empire Emperor, so extremely important man. And his most famous work was uh, Liber Astronomiae, or the Book of Astronomy, written around 1277, which still remains a very classic textbook. During the 15th and 17th centuries, um, as a result of this resurgence of interest in astrology, um, the practice became very popular and aristocratic people as well as monarchs often had their own personal advisors or astrologers who would actually help them with making decisions talking to them about you know should we uh, do this particular thing in my kingdom um, is what when is the right time etc so we have examples like popes such as julius ii 1503 to 1513 leo x 1513 to 1521 and paul um, iii as well as Catherine de Medici, who um, famously employed the the famous Nostradamus as her astrologer. And her family, the Medici family, who were the, the most important, powerful family in Italy from 1400 to 1600, were all very great patrons 
of astrology as well as arts and literature and if you go to Italy you can see lots of examples of this in the you know the beautiful buildings that they they kind of were patrons of. Catherine Medici um, as I said she used to she apparently used to speak with Nostradamus the famous French astrologer and apparently he correctly predicted the death of her husband Henry the second um, four years before it happened. Henry II of France was a personal friend of Nostradamus who came to the tragic death at the age of just 40. Um, and the story goes apparently that the young king was a passionate hunter and jouster. Um, however, in 1559 he held a tournament to celebrate a peace treaty and during the joust one of his young soldiers a lance shattered, driving splinters into the king's iron skull. And he died a slow and painful death from sepsis, which uh, some thought was predicted by Nostradamus when he wrote the following. The young lion will overcome the old one, that he will pierce his eyes through a golden cage, and the two wounds will ensure a cruel death. Um, over, over in the UK, Queen Elizabeth I is meant to have employed the famous um, John Dee as well to use astrology to calculate the best time for her coronation as well as other things. Um, the story goes that at 12pm on January the 15th, 1559, Elizabeth I was crowned Queen of England. And this was a really big deal for, you know, the second daughter of Henry the Henry VIII, and the daughter of a woman who had been executed, executed as a traitor and an adulteress. Um, and this day was not chosen for convenience. It was chosen because it was an auspicious date determined by the royal astrologer, John Dee. And Sarah Rochelle, on her website, Elizabeth as an astrologer, writes, One of the principal... One of the working principles of astrology is that the beginnings of life, the birth of something or the seed of something is of paramount importance. It signals the way things will develop and unfold in time. An astrological birth chart, therefore, can not only be used to examine the start of a person's life, the birth chart or nativity, but can also be applied to, say, the start of a journey, the laying of a foundation stone, the signing of a contract anything so what she's saying is you know this date was particularly was particularly chosen by john d um and calculated according to and i don't know what the actual um the, de the astrological details of that would be but um it, it'd be interesting to look that up actually and and find out if that kind of matched up with how um elizabeth's reign went John Dee, um, I'm sure people know a lot about him, but he he's a really fascinating character who's steeped in magical practice. Um, he's an English mathematician, astronomer, astrologer, occultist, and obviously the consultant to the Queen. And he's an interesting as well because he, he really lived during this period when people were just beginning to see the differences between science and magic. And he's also credited with the discovery of the Enochian system. As well as Dee and others, there are many other important figures during this time. So we have Nicholas Culpepper, 
who wrote a text on medical astrology. We have William Lilly, whose books people still read, 1602 to 1681. Lilly is very influential as he is famously meant to have predicted the Great Fire of London, as a result of which he summoned before Parliament and charged with having conspired to set the fire, but was later acquitted. Lee is also meant to have used astrological methods for the royalists and parliamentarians during the Civil War. Um, so that's... Um, yes, yeah, so it's interesting, interesting that as well. There's a lot of other people from that period as well, which we don't really have time to go into. Um, you have Tycho Bar uh, Brahe, Kepler, as well as Galileo. Um, so, you know, by all means, go out and uh, do some more research on those if you want to find out more. Um, the books of Nicholas Campion are particularly useful if you want to kind of dig into the these historical aspects in more detail. That's all we've got time for today. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Um, please make sure to visit our website at www.occoplondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. Thank you. Bye bye.